0: Why don't you turn with me to Acts chapter 12 on page 920 in the Pewback Bible in front of you. you don't have a Bible. That is our gift to you. We here study God's word. We open it up. We cherish God's word and want to learn from him. And this morning we find ourselves in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12. Thus far the church since the beginning has uh, faced much obstacle, oppression, um, much celebration as well, right? Like there are many things that we can point to in the book of Acts and say, yeah, like we've experienced something similar, right? Like they experienced persecution, we experienced persecution, whether not us personally, but the big church. And and in this passage, there's a beautiful moment. Um, this is gonna be one of my favorite topics is if like I get ever excited about anything, you know this, like it's either preaching out of the Old Testament or preaching about prayer. And not because like I have this vision Vigorous prayer life. Like it's because it's the thing that is the hardest thing for me to do. And because I believe strongly that there is power in prayer, I want to lean into it. I want to, us to be a church of prayer because I believe God hears our prayers. God answers our prayers. And in this moment in time, In chapter 12, we see a beautiful moment. We see the church faced with adversity. We see the church faced with a problem and a situation. They cannot solve on their own, and they resort to prayer. Not a plan, not an organization, not a committee, not a subcommittee, not like a weekly meeting for three hours that you have to be at. Like no, they resulted to, to prayer. So let's, let's read. I'll read the first five verses. We'll talk about the subsequent verses after that. Verse one, Acts chapter 12, on page 920 in the Pewback Bible. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John that's John the Beloved, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. If you'd like to highlight in your Bible, I would uh, underline that, the days of unleavened bread, If you would remember, this is the same time, not this time, but a time before. um, This is the time that Jesus had the Last Supper. This is the time that Jesus was arrested. And this was during the feast that Jesus was crucified and and rose again um, around that same time. Verse 4, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. As we know in the past, Peter has escaped prison before and the apostles have been released from prison. So Herod wanted to make sure that Peter wasn't going to get out. Intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer, highlight, underline that idea, earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I think this is a beautiful verse right there, that earnest prayer were made on behalf of the church, from the church, on behalf of Peter before God. And I want us to notice that the response of the church was prayer. Right? Like, then I want us to think about our response, like if if we were faced with adversity, if we were faced with problems and situations in the church, attacks from outside, if, if our government or of our community, if people in the community wanted to impede, prevent, try to stop us from proclaiming the gospel, try to uh, prevent us from growing and converting people to the gospel, like if if, If there was attack from outside the church, what would be our response? I would think, and this is just me, there would be some meeting and we would sit down and plan and organize and figure it out. Or would our response be to run away? To hide. We're, we're not going to act like Christians anymore. We're, we're going to be Christians on the inside, but we're not going to share the gospel. We're not going to let anybody know that we're a Christian because we do not want that attack. We do not want people to know that I'm a Christian because if they know that we're Christians, if I act like a Christian, then they might persecute me. What is, the, is that our response? Like, would we stop gathering as a people of God? Would we run Away? Or, or would we acquiesce? Would we decide that we're going to submit to what the crowd, what the world says about us and we're gonna submit? Like, is, is that our reaction? Because I think, right, that when we look at the book of Acts, when we look at the early church, their response would be quite different from what I believe our response would be. Their response is prayer. When the church was faced with increasing obstacles, they prayed. And in fact, that is the history of God's people. When you look from Genesis to Revelation, the history of God's people, when they were under attack, when they were against adversity, when there was overwhelming obstacles, right? Like what did the people of God do? They prayed, they interceded, they asked God to do what they could not do for themselves. Why? Because they believed that he had the power to deliver them, he had the power to provide for them, he had the power to rescue them, he had the power to interfere in what was happening. And I think about the world that we live in today, right? Think about that God has placed us in this time in history and are we gonna be a church that prays? Are we gonna be a church that is known for prayer? Are we gonna be a church who pleaded before the throne room of God and say, you have to do something because if you don't do it, we can't do it. Like, is that who we're going to be? Because remember there's growing obstacles. I think about like the world that we live in now The spirit of this age that people are far more swayed by the power of the enemy. They're swayed by by the cultural norms of our day. What do we do? We pray. But are we going to pray, right? Like, I think... I think about like even, even us today that we're, we're so much influenced by social media, we're influenced by companies who, who want to cancel us out because of our faith or, or because we believe something different. Like what is our response to when a world is growing even more unbelieving and more hostile to the church, to Christian beliefs, to, to biblical moral and ethics? What is our response? Our response should be prayer. And let me tell you something, I, I am of the camp that finds it very difficult to pray, right? Like, it's not easy for us to pray. We're far more, far more able to create a plan, a system, we're far more able to like call people up and organize to, to, to do something, to fight against something. My natural bent is not prayer, but, but God gave us a great tool God gave us the tool of prayer so that we can align our wills, our desire with him. And, and the truth is, like, it's not easy for us to pray. And for me, one of the reasons why it's difficult to pray, because, like, oftentimes I think, how can a God who's so powerful, I've seen it in all through scripture, answer my petition, right? Right? Like I think of my own sins and my own problems and situations. I think about like the thoughts that I shouldn't have thought, the feelings that I had, the words that I said, the actions that I did that are not honoring to God. And I, and I come to the Lord with my prayers and petitions and think, I know you have the power to answer my prayer, but surely you can't answer my prayer because I am too sinful. Has that ever happened to you? Like when you're praying, you're like, I, how is he going to do this? Like, I'm not worthy for him to answer that prayer. Or, or maybe, like, maybe there's some past hurts. I, I stand before you today and, and tell you that um, I have often been disappointed by God. Not because he's ever disappointed me, but because I look at past prayers and I said, God, you said no. And that was a good thing. And you said no to me. Lord, you didn't say anything at all, and I'm still waiting for you to do it. So then when you go back to the Lord in prayer, your mind begins to think about all the times God didn't answer prayers, right? And you think, he's powerful enough to save that person. He's powerful enough. Like how many people here have grieved the loss of, a loss of a of a loved one, right? Like dying in the hospital bed. How many times you prayed, God healed them, God restored them? and they passed away. Like, how many of you have prayed for the broken marriage and realized that the marriage is over at the end? Right? Like, the child that hasn't come back to him and he or she continues to live a sinful lifestyle and you're like, God, like, can you do this? Will you do this? Right? You think about those things. But the great thing about prayer is that like his faithfulness to answer the prayer is not contingent on your faithfulness to him. When we pray as a church, when we had that moment in prayer, we're going before a God who answers prayers despite who we are, right? Why? Because God is faithful. So when we pray, when we come to him and ask him, to do the thing that we cannot. We're coming to a God who's gracious and loving and kind and who sees past the sin, who sees past the frustrations and the pain, who sees you and what Christ has done for you. That's the God we pray to. That's the God who the early church prayed to, right? Like, What's their first response to adversity and obstacles? Well, yeah, it's prayer. But what kind of prayer? Look at verse five again. What's the kind of prayer that the church prayed? It's earnest prayer. Why do you think the church prayed earnestly? Here's, here's why I, be, I believe they prayed earnestly. And, and this is um, true of our prayers today. The reason why they prayed, the reason why their first response was prayer, the reason why they earnestly prayed to God, and in a moment we'll talk about what that means to earnestly pray. The reason why they prayed is because prayer is how God accomplishes his plan in our lives and in the church, right? That, that's the point of prayer, right? The, the point of prayer is that God would accomplish what he wants to accomplish, how he wants to accomplish it, when he accomplishes it through prayer. That's the way God does it. And I think that's what the church did. They prayed earnestly. Why? Because God can do and execute his plan and in their lives and in the church as well. So what is the type of prayer, right? Like we often talk about prayer and, and what, 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 what is prayer? And here's a simple definition of what prayer is. Um, I spent a lot of hours on this, okay? You ready? Like this is prayer. Prayer is, everybody get ready, get the pens out, the notebooks out. Okay, no, all right, we don't do that. No big deal. Um, this is what prayer is, you ready? It's talking to God. Don't laugh, That not a good enough definition spent hours on that Um, prayer is simply this it's talking to God. The same way you would talk to your neighbor, your friend, the same way you would talk to your spouse, maybe not the way you talk to your neighbors or friends. It's like, no. Uh, like, like the same way you, you, you talk to people is the same way we talk to God. And there are different types of prayer, right? There's, there's prayers of worship or adoration, right? That's what we just did. We just did it in song. But, but the words that we, we sung today um, are just prayers back to God proclaiming how good he is, right? And they're prayers of worship. And, and maybe this looks like, um, you know, that when you pray, you, you say, God, I, I worship you because, because you are faithful. I've seen your faithfulness in scripture and I've seen your faithfulness in my life. And I praise you that you're faithful to me even when I'm not faithful, right? That's a prayer of adoration. That's a prayer of worship. And then there are prayers of confession, right? It's when you go to God and you tell him, God, I screwed the pooch on that one really bad. Like, I shouldn't have said that. I should not have gave that person that look. I shouldn't have thought that thing. I shouldn't have done that thing. Like, God, like, oh, I shouldn't have got in that argument. I was so angry and, and, and frustrated. Lord, I, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have sinned and I've sinned before you and I ask for forgiveness because you are a forgiving God. You forgave me on the cross and I know that you'll forgive me now. Like that's a prayer of, of, of confession. Then there are prayers of thanksgiving, right? It's thanking God for what he has done. Right. It's thinking, God, 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 I thank you that I am alive. I'm I thank you that I'm breathing. I thank you that I have life. I thank you that you've supplied my needs. Like I have not gone hungry. I have shelter. I have food. My children are safe. I thank you, Lord, that, that I have a job and I can work. I thank you that you provided when I didn't have the job or I didn't have work. Like those are prayers of thanksgiving. Then there are prayers of supplication. That is Acts chapter two, verse five. Acts chapter two, oh excuse me, what did I say, two? Oh, yeah, sorry, um, I'm crazy. Acts chapter 12, verse five, that's a prayer of supplication, it's petitioning. It's going to God and saying, God, I need your help. We need your help. I need you. To, to work this thing out in my life because I can't do it. God, I need strength. I need peace. I need wisdom. I need hope. I need love. I need more joy. Like, it's going to God with what you need and what you want and trusting him that he is faithful to do the thing. And in verse five, we see a prayer of, of supplication. Who are they praying for? The church gathered together to pray on behalf of Peter. And what's the kind of prayer beyond a prayer of supplication? What's the prayer? It's an earnest prayer. It's interesting that Luke puts um, the word earnest in there. Another time he puts earnest is in the gospel. It's when Jesus is praying in Gethsemane and he's praying what Luke says, he is earnestly praying before God. It's the same word that he uses here. And the idea of earnest prayer, the idea is stretched out, right? So there's two um, um, illustrations. There's two pictures that Luke is pointing to us. The first picture is that the people um, in the church gathered together have their arms stretched out right? They're open and available to God to do what he can only do. Their hands are stretched out. The second picture that he's painting is not only are their hands stretched out, I don't know if it's uh, literally that their hands are stretched out, but what he's communicating is that they're stretched out. The second idea is not only are they stretched out, but it's continuous. What does that mean? It means that when they were praying together, they didn't stop praying. There wasn't an end to their prayer. When they started, they kept going. When they wanted to stop, they kept going. It was continuous. This idea that they didn't stop praying, that is the job of the church. The church should be a church of prayer. This should be a house of prayer where we pray All the time. Now, does that mean that we're going to spend the two hours here at church praying? No. What it means is that we have an attitude of prayer. That means that we're open and available to pray at any given moment. It means that when we pray for people, when we pray for situations, when we pray for problems to, to, to go away, or when we're praying that God would get us through the problem, we do not stop praying until God answers that prayer oftentimes that when we pray, especially as a church or as an individual, we stop praying because we lose faith. We lose faith that God is going to answer on our behalf. But this here tells us that they did not stop praying. And this is a testimony of not just the church in Jerusalem, but this is the testimony of the church everywhere. You know how I know that? Because the Bible says it in Romans. Peter, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. He also says this in Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and, supp- and supplication, make your requests known to God. And what does the Bible promise? And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart. There's a promise associated to the prayer, right? He also says in Colossians chapter 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. God's desire for his people. Look at me for a minute. God's desire for his people is that they would pray. If they did nothing else, they would pray. They would pray the scriptures, they would read the scriptures, but that they would pray. His desires at every opportunity, the people of God have, they would pray. And when should the church pray? All the time. But there are often times, special times, that the church should pray. In this moment, in Acts chapter 12, when does the church pray together? Together. Well, they pray when they're faced with a crisis. I wanna talk a little bit about this crisis, right? Like they prayed when the church was being persecuted in verse one. Herod decided that it was a good idea to kill one of the apostles. Then he thought it was a good idea that he should arrest another apostle, right? So the threat that the church faced was persecution, the threat that that the church experienced was violence against its leaders. The next threat was that, that an injustice happened. Peter was wrongfully arrested. He did nothing wrong. He did not commit a crime, but he was arrested. What do you do when the church leader is gone, when the other church leader dies and they're coming after us? What do you do? The Bible says that they prayed. I love what John Stott says about this passage, it's beautiful, this is what he says. He says, here we have two communities, the world and the church, arrayed against one another, each welding an appropriate weapon. And what's the weapon that the world uses, right? On, On one side was the authority, was Herod, the power of the sword and the security of the prison. And on the other hand, on the other side, The church turned to prayer, which is the only power which the powerless possess. Think about that, right? That if you are feeling powerless, then you have power in prayer. The solution to the church's problem, the solution to the crisis that the church faced was prayer. And listen, it's not that they prayed. In this, like, it wasn't that they said the right words at the right time, in the right order, that that God would answer their prayer. No, that's, that's not what it is. What it is, the power of prayer is in the person that we pray to. Who are they praying to? They're praying to God the Father, who has attributes and characters that are beyond us. So the solution to the church's crisis in prayer is to trust in God's character. And, and I think we see, see some characteristics of God in this passage. I want to I show, you, show you one of the characteristics. I told you before to underline the, um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Like, remember the purpose. In the Old Testament, God commanded his people to celebrate, to commemorate the time they would leave Egypt. He did this by instituting the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were, not to, they were not allowed to eat any bread that had any leaven in it. So why? Because they were to remember that God delivered them from Egypt. It's not a coincidence that in this moment, that when the church is persecuted, when they're faced with adversity, that they're celebrating in the culture, the feast of unleavened bread. Why? Because when they're praying, they're reminded that God delivers his people. Think about it, in Exodus chapter two, what do the people of God say? The Bible says that God heard their cries, and in fact, he heard their groanings. And you know what the Bible says? It says he knew. What did he know? He knew that he was faithful to his covenant and that he would answer their petition. God delivers his people. I think about almost every battle that the Old Testament Israelites had to fight. Almost all of them, when they obeyed God, they followed God, they pursued God, and when they prayed, he answered their prayers. I think of King Jehoshaphat. Remember, he was one of the kings in Judah the enemy army was on attack. They were gonna overwhelm him. Their army was too big, too vast, too wide. And you know what Jehoshaphat did? He gathered the entire congregation, the entire people of God and said, we're going to pray and we're gonna fast and we're gonna get ready for battle. You know how they got ready for battle? They got dressed up, they went to battle, they didn't fight, they didn't sling any any rocks, They didn't throw any javelins. You know what they did? They prayed. You know how they prayed? They started praising God on the battlefield. And next thing you know, God comes through and he destroys the entire enemy. God delivers his people. That's who the people in the early church prayed to, a delivering God. What we also see in verse 7 in this passage, another beautiful reminder of God's character in prayer and that is God provides for his people. While the continuous prayer, the earnest prayer of the church was being offered for Peter, the church was providing, God was providing an answer to the people. While they were praying, he was answering their prayer by providing an answer. What was the answer? The answer was an angel. God sends an angel to the jail cell Wakes up Peter and says, we're out of here. And you know what I love what Luke does in this passage? He includes like um, descriptive, detailed information to show the impossibility of this to happen, right? So Peter is sleeping. The Bible says he's sleeping between two soldiers. He's chained two times. Uh, he includes two chains. And he's chained to two shoulders. And then there are guards on the outside of the jail. Luke is describing to us and describing to every person who would read this that, that this is an impossible task for anyone to do. There's no way one person or a group of people can rescue Peter. But there is a God who hears the cries of his people, who's willing to interfere, who's willing to send an angel to do the impossible. Why? So that the people would witness, and an unbelieving world would witness, that God has the power to do the impossible. That's the beauty of him putting all that. Then I think about us. God provided an answer for them, but... Aren't you reminded of how God provided answers for you? Though I still have doubt from past hurts, I can point to specific times and moments in in my life where God answered and provided in ways that I cannot explain. God has provided for his people. I think of the story of Hannah, who was barren without a child. What does she do? She goes before the Lord and prays and asks God, would you give me a child? What was his response? He came for a child. Now, we don't know how long it took, but I'm pretty sure it didn't take a couple of days. Pretty sure it was longer than a year. In fact, I'm pretty sure it was more than a couple of years. But God provided. I think of Abraham in the story, right? Sarah, too old to have a kid. And what does God do? He provided. For her, When Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac on the mountain, what does God provide? Instead, a ram in the thicket. God provides for his people. God provided for the kings of the Old Testament. God provided for the church in Jerusalem and the church across the world. God has provided for us. So when we pray, we're praying to a God who has the power to deliver us, who has the power to provide for us. That's the confidence we have. Not in a plan, not in an organization, not in a meeting or a committee. We have a confidence in a God who answers prayer. The second characteristic we see in this chapter is in verse 11. We see that God rescues his people from danger. How do we know that? Well, Peter is released from prison. And what does Peter say? What is Peter's response? His response is now that I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and all that the Jewish people were expecting. His response was acknowledgement that God rescues his people. Time and time again, God has a long history of rescuing his people from danger. He rescued Peter from danger. And that's the same God we pray to, right? Think of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Who refused to bend the knee to the king, to worship the king. How does God rescue them? He rescues them out of the fire. He rescues Daniel out of the den. He rescues David from all his troubles and all his attacks and from his, even his own king. God Delivers God rescues his people from danger. That's the God that we're praying to. So when you come to God in prayer, you're not coming to God who might be able to do it. You're coming to a God who surely can do it, who can answer the petitions. And sometimes the truth is, The truth is God answers every single prayer we have. There is not a prayer that we petition before the Lord that he doesn't answer. You know that, right? He answers every single prayer. You're looking at me like, does he? I don't know. Maybe. I think. No, he does. Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no. Because God has something better. Actually, oftentimes when we pray What we're praying for is not the thing we ought to have, but sometimes it's the thing that we're going to receive because that's better for us. And sometimes it comes a no. Sometimes God says, not yet. And when those things happen, you continue to pray. This is just one example of when God instantly answered their prayers within a couple of days. But there's a history in the Old Testament where people had to wait years, if not decades, right? Like God promised to save his people from exile, but many of them were in exile for decades, if not hundreds of years, right? Like when when God promised to rescue them out of Egypt, they were in Egypt for 400 years. So sometimes we have to wait for that promise. But, But the confidence that we have... The confidence that we have in prayer is not in our ability to pray, but is the confidence of God's character. God is faithful to answer our prayers. And the example that we have in Acts chapter 12 is that when the people of God come together and pray, things happen. In fact, they were surprised by how God answered their prayer because Peter comes to the house and here's what happens. The Bible says they were praying. They were still praying. They were unaware that he had, a, he had come out of the, the jail cell by the angel. So, so a girl hears Peter's voice, and she comes to the group that's praying and says, Hey, Peter's here. He's out of jail. And they're like, Uh, that ain't happening. Like, that, you're just hearing things. And in fact, what they say is like, Actually, that's, that. you're hearing his angel um, I don't know why they say this, but in the Jewish culture in those times, they believed in guardian angels. Um, that's not what happened. Um, I don't have a theology on guardian angels, to be honest with you, but, but they thought it was an angel. They thought it was a divine being that was speaking, that sounded like Peter, and that she heard, but it wasn't. You know the interesting story about that, that passage? Um, the Bible says it was a slave girl named Rhoda. And I'm reminded, I don't know if you remember the story in the Old Testament of Naaman, right? Um, Naaman is actually a general of, 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 of Assyria and he has a slave girl from a Jewish slave girl. And when he gets sick, um, she tells her mistress or his wife, there is a prophet in Israel, or I think, I believe it's Judah. There's a prophet in, 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 among the people of God who can pray for you to heal you. There's no correlation between the two. But I thought it was interesting that God put a girl there in the story to hear the voice of Peter to affirm that God answers prayer. And you know, he answered it even when they doubted. Think about that. They did not expect that Peter was going to be released from prison. In fact, they probably believed that he was going to die because they probably remembered during this same time not too long ago Jesus was murdered and crucified. We can go to God in prayer, believing that he would answer our prayers, even when we doubt. Why? Because our doubt is welcomed by God. Like, God's answer to your prayer is not contingent on your doubt. It's contingent on him. We can bring our doubt, and we can say, God, God, I don't know how you're going to answer this. And I feel like you won't do this, but I'm still gonna come to you, trusting and being reminded that you have a long history in scripture that testifies of your faithfulness on how you have answered prayer. And I want you to change my doubt into faith. We can go to God in prayer. So my question for you this morning, are we gonna be a church of prayer? Are we going to pray with each other? Because the model in this chapter and in the early church is that the people of God gathered and prayed with each other. What a powerful testimony. In the high school ministry, when I was in high school, or not when I was in high school, when I was leading high school, we, we had a thing, and this is what we would do. I would say at the beginning of our time, um, we're going to pray. And I would say, we pray bold and Oh, you guys gotta do better than that. I was hoping they wouldn't do a little umph, oh, they're nervous. I would say every every Sunday, we pray bold and out loud. and we would pray for about five minutes out loud at the same time. Then we would get in groups to pray with each other. Why? Because that's the model of the early church. They prayed together. What a beautiful testimony that we would carry each other's burdens in prayer, that we don't have to put a facade or a veneer in front of our family and friends in the church, that we can be authentic and genuine and open and vulnerable and share with them. I'm hurting, like like I've said it before, like last week, like we need to be praying for Dave Flick, he has cancer. I mean, uh, he doesn't have cancer. He's, he's, in, uh, he's in remission, but he's in the hospital. We have a guy in the band that Byron was telling me, I don't know who, um, that has cancer now. We need to be praying for him. There are many things that we can be praying for as a church together. Why? Because God answers our prayer. Do you believe it today? Do you trust him today? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning with every single doubt, every single issue on our hearts and our minds. And Lord, we ask you this morning to be faithful as you've been faithful all throughout Scripture, as you've been faithful to the early church in chapter 12, that you are a God who answers prayers. Lord, there are things that plague us. There are things that overwhelm us. And there are things that we don't have answers to. Would you provide the answer? Would you provide the wisdom, the encouragement? Would you provide the peace to the anxious thought? Would you provide the clarity to the confusion? Would you provide the way out of the dilemma of the situation, Lord? So that we can testify that you are a God who. Answers our prayer. God, in in our weaknesses, when we find it difficult to pray, God, would you you give us a passion, a supernatural passion to pray, to pray for our loved ones, our family, our children, our neighbors, our friends, that, that we would be eager to pray. That when we hear of a story where someone needs prayer, that we would pray right then and there. God, give us that desire so that we can be a church that prays and that we can testify that you are faithful, we can trust you, and you've always been faithful. We pray this in Christ's name, and the people of God say, Amen. This has been a message from The Chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about The Chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website, at the